This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. What kind of super ager are you? Go to ageist.com slash quiz. Take the super ager quiz and we'll send you directed, personalized information to help you super age the best that you can. Welcome to Super Age. My name is David Stewart. I am the founder of Ageist and your host on the Super Age show. We talk about how to live healthier, how to live longer, and how to be happier. And who doesn't want that? Today's show is sponsored by Fatty 15. Fatty 15 features the first essential fatty acid to be discovered in 90 years and is on a mission to restore your long-term health. Go to fatty15.com ageist Use the code AGES at checkout for 15% off their 90-day subscription starter kit. Today's show is also brought to you by Sunday's Dog Food, the very best dog food we know of. We love our dogs, and we know you do too. Feed them the best food you can. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash AGES. Get this safe 40%. Today's show is also brought to you by Element. L-M-N-T. My favorite electrolyte mix. It's what I put in my water in the morning, and it's what I put in my water at the gym. Go to drinkelement.com slash ageist and receive a free eight-serving sample pack with any purchase. Welcome to episode 173 of the Super Age Podcast. It is great to have you with us. We'll be dropping this on February the 28th, 2024. This week on the show, we've got Dylan Livingston. And Dylan runs something called the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives. When we had Carl Pfeiffer on a couple of weeks ago, I was asking Carl, because Carl's a really connected guy, who's doing interesting things that my audience needs to know about? And he recommended Dylan. So the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives is a Washington-based political lobbying group. And what they're trying to do is to get the FDA and the Congress to you know fast-track some of the things out there that will really impact longevity. So we're going to have a conversation with Dylan coming up really soon. And we're going to touch that third rail out there. Woohoo! Politics. Just briefly, though. Just briefly. So for those of you who don't know, next week I am going on this. Let me preface this by saying I don't like to travel. <laughs> I used to travel, I mean, like crazy. I used to travel a couple hundred thousand miles a year and airports and lounges was sort of my world, but I don't really do that much anymore. And I've either gotten out of practice or the reality of sort of how horrible most travel experiences are has sort of dawned on me and I, I really don't like it. But for somebody who doesn't like it and is not a very good traveler, next week I'm doing this mental thing. I'm flying to Hong Kong via Taiwan to give a talk at the Upper House where my good friend Kathy Chong has invited a bunch of people actually from all over Asia to come. I thought she was like, oh, a little casual talk. Well, <laughs> yeah. People are flying in. So I don't know how casual the talk is going to be. It's going to be very exciting. So I'm there for a couple of days. I've heard Upper House is amazing. I've never been there, but it looks like a marvelous hotel in Hong Kong. And I love Hong Kong. Actually, I love these places. I just don't like the to and fro. Is I don't know. Is that so wrong? <laughs> so I'm there for a couple of days. And then I go to Kuala Lumpur, where I'm speaking at a big conference there, which I'm very excited about. I've never been to Kuala Lumpur, but I really like Malaysian food. So I got a couple of days there. And then I'm flying home. And the thing about Kuala Lumpur is it's basically on the other side of the earth from New York. Like if you put a pencil through the earth, that's where you'd end up. So it doesn't matter if you go east or west. It's the same amount of time. I'm flying back via Istanbul. 
um, into JFK. So I'm actually circumnavigating the world um, in addition to doing these talks. And all this happens in six days if I don't get lost or God knows what can happen. <laughs> so that's next week. And I've already started to try and move my clock, my circadian clock, because I'm like a toddler with jet lag. It's really hard to describe how I don't deal with it very well. I used to better, but now I don't. So what I'm doing is you can either sort of get up earlier or stay up late because it's the other side of the earth. It doesn't really matter. And I just found like staying up later is a little easier. So, you know, I normally go to bed around like nine or nine 30. So now last night I waited till 1230 and tonight I'll stay up till one and just sort of gradually moving things across. And then I'm using this app called time shifter, which if you don't know about this, it's really great. It doesn't work a hundred percent for me, but it probably reduces my jet lag by 50% or so. And it's just a, it's a combination of light, caffeine, a little bit of melatonin, and you can move your clock much quicker. So yeah, I'm hoping it's going to be all right. I can sort of get it together for an hour, an hour and a half, no matter what. So I think that's sort of my, what I'm going to be doing on, in both of these things. And then the rest of the time, I'm just like, you know, enclosed in a metal tube flying high in the air at high speeds and yeah why don't we have one of those star trek machines wouldn't that be great <laughs> any other rather boring thing that's going on is my knee um, my left knee is still not quite right so i'm seeing an orthopedist here in new york and he has some of the thoughts on this and in my past experience with doctors in the past they've been really good about stuff like mechanical stuff, like things that break, things that are like mechanically operated, like knees and arms, joints like that. They, they tend to be really good at, if not fixing it, at least telling you like what the problem is and what you're doing. So we don't really have a clear diagnosis on this, even though we've had x-rays and MRIs and all this other stuff. So oh, it's really boring. I mean, sometimes I think to myself, like, maybe I'm just getting old, but I just have a fantastic sense of denial. So it can't be that. <laughs> maybe it's just something else. I don't know. I'm 65 and my knee's a little creaky. Who would have thought? Anyway, we are going to get with Dylan Livingston after a quick word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Sunday's Dog Food. I don't have to tell you guys, if you own a dog, you know how important the dog is in your life. I've had a few dogs. They've been fantastic additions. Our dogs are so important to us. We want them to lead the healthiest, happiest life we can. That's what we like about Sundays. It's 90% meat. It's 10% superfood. It's 0% synthetic ingredients. It's super easy to use, super easy to store, and it's the best quality dog food we've come across. We are also initiating a Sunday's Dog of the Month program and <laughs> presenting this month's dog, Scout. Scout is a 100-pound golden retriever who just adores a tennis ball throw. And I understand a dirty sock too. Scout's really into dirty socks. I'm just having too much fun doing this ad read. So nominate your dog. Send in some pictures. Tell us what your dog loves to do. Okay, so now it gets really good. 40% off. Get that 40% off your first order of Sundays. Go to sundaysfordogs.com slash ages. That's S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-F-O-R-D-O-G-S dot com slash ages. Or if you don't remember that, just use code AGIST at checkout. 40% off your first order. Your dog's really going to like you for this. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fatty15. The story here is that Fatty15 co-founder Dr. Stephanie Van Watson discovered C15 while working with the U.S. Navy to improve the health and welfare of aging dolphins. Now, her discovery marks the first essential fatty acid to be found in over 90 years. C15 is known to work in a few ways. 
It repairs age-related damage to our cells. It protects our cells from future breakdown, boosts mitochondrial energy output, and activates those pathways in the body that help regulate things like sleep and mood. Now, Fatty15 is on a mission to replenish your C15 levels and restore your long-term health. You can get an additional 15% off their 90-day subscription starter kit by going to fatty15.com slash ages and using the code ages at checkout. And stay tuned, as always, after my conversation with Dylan Livingston, we're going to do, just try this, that little tidbit to help you live a little happier, a little longer, a little happier. Stay tuned for that. We're going to give Dylan a ring right now. Dylan Livingston, great to see you. Where does this podcast find you today? In Arlington, Virginia, right right near the Pentagon. Stone throws away. Okay. Well, don't don't throw stones at the Pentagon. They, no, no, no. You're yeah. very upset about this. Tell me a little bit about the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives and what are you doing? What is this thing? Sure, sure, sure. Well, thank you for having me on to start. Uh, So the Alliance for Longevity Initiatives is a 501c4 nonprofit organization focused on representing the longevity biotech industry and general movement on Capitol Hill. You know, this has been an industry that has been exploding, really is the right word, with activity over the last five years specifically. And uh, the time is right for policymakers to take note and act on the activity in the private sector in in this space. Uh, Geroscience, longevity, rejuvenation therapies, they all offer uh, promise and potential that traditional medicine and, you know, medicine as we know it does not offer. And more investment, uh, different FDA regulations for clinical trials need to be imagined and implemented uh, if we want to, you know, uh, reap the full reward and uh, get these therapeutics in the hands of as many people that will benefit from it as possible, as soon as possible. Political advocacy is the tool that that I've come to, to to make this all happen. That sounds great. But from what I've seen with these, I'll be nice, our government representatives, as they've dealt with some of the, you know, the people in the tech realm, they're not that savvy even with like, like an iPhone, like uh, social media, how do you communicate to them something as complex as geroscience? Sure, sure. Well, I have the advantage of not being a biologist myself. So I have to understand this in a way that a non-biologist understands it. And I think that kind of gives me an advantage when talking with other political people, lay people uh, about this issue. Fortunately, longevity and, and, and the implications of longevity medicine touch on every aspect of life. So for example, if you're talking with um, someone who's of the Republican Party, uh, you, you might want to bring up the fact that, you know, uh, this is a, a major driver of economic uh, growth, right? I'm sure uh, you have seen the longevity dividend argument, which, uh, you know, the latest iteration argues, I think, $37 trillion in GDP gains for one extra healthy year of life expectancy. Uh, and, you know, even if that's off by, uh, you know, 90%, that's still, a you know, $3.7 $3. trillion is still worth pursuing, right? So the economic gains are there. And if you were talking to someone more conservative, that's a point you bring up, right? You don't really need to get into the nitty gritty of the biology to, to, to get them on board. Um, if you're talking to someone on the more uh, liberal side, right, you might want to bring up something, uh, you, you might want to bring up how, in theory, uh, you know, uh, cheap 
uh, gerotherapeutics like metformin and rapamycin, which are cents on the dollar, if we can get them in the hands of as many people as possible, uh, you know, that will help close the, the, the health inequality gap, right? You know, we see uh, a major disparity between socioeconomic, ethnic, racial groups. Uh, and, you know, this could be something that could potentially close that gap and something that potentially won't break the bank either, right, with the, the, those specific therapeutics. So, uh, you know, the, the point is, while, look, they, they might not be able to understand the, uh, you know, the workings of a cell, they do understand uh, technology to a certain extent, and they understand jobs, they understand economics, they understand growth. That's what they want, right? The, every every politician wants to show growth and, uh, you know, economic success. That's how they get reelected, right? If everybody's feeling good in their pockets, that's that's the number one voting issue usually. So they understand it from that angle. They understand it from their own perspectives, from their own kind of preconceived ideas that they're coming in with. But, you know, it's definitely not easy, right? I To uh, back up a little bit, uh, we started the organization in 2022. And our first year of existence, we were really focused on finding congressional champions in uh, Congress, uh, specifically the House of Representatives. And I spent the, you know, the better part of 2022 going around to different offices, setting up conversations with members and their staff uh, and, you know, explaining, uh, you know, this field and the potential and why they should be congressional champions. And ultimately, the goal was to form a longevity caucus, a longevity science caucus, which we did last year. I actually believe it's the this might be the one year anniversary, actually, of the day I have to check my records. But, uh, you know, a year ago, we got together the longevity science caucus and we identified these champions. They're, they're not super knowledgeable about this space, but they get it enough and they care enough to, to, to push this forward and be champions. They're actually and we in conjunction with the longevity science caucus are hosting uh, the first ever briefing around longevity science in March. Uh, so I'll be for the next month planning an event around that. But, you know, while they might not know about it, they understand these these different aspects. And then they also, uh, you know, are willing to learn more. And that's what the Longevity Science Caucus is all about, you know, educating other members of Congress, spreading awareness uh, among staffs and, and offices. So I can't help but think I don't know what the median age is, especially in the Senate, but it's not 40. No, <laughs> it's definitely north of that. Are you able to speak to people in a more personal like I'm, what I've found, people who are like 60, 70 are very interested in longevity in a way that people who perhaps younger people aren't. Are you able to speak to? I mean, I don't think any politician really, you know, maybe some do. But I, I think the, the champions that we've identified at least are in it not for, you know, their own personal reasons, right? They're not looking to necessarily, I mean, obviously, I think all of them would like to benefit from these therapeutics and, you know, are pushing for that. But I, I don't think it's like, a, you know, out of a, a fear of, of aging, right, that they're doing this. I think that they see that this is the next generation of healthcare. And, you know, it's their job as members of Congress to support and spread awareness around this topic and ultimately try to push more resources towards this effort. Right. But, you know, it, it's it's definitely something that we've thought of uh, as a way to kind of get in the door with some of these offices. But, eh, you know, it's when you can talk jobs, uh, you know, you, you don't need to kind of play on people's fears. You know, so. OK, just just curious about that. And then there's also what I'm going to call life extension stunts. And Brian Johnson, who we've had on this podcast, I like Brian. He's an interesting character. But he he's become really adept at the sort of blood boy stunt and such. And he knows it's a stunt. He's, he's a very clever guy. So there's sort of like the real and then there's like that sort of stuff. Are the people you're speaking to, how are they 
viewing the sort of things you're coming at them with? Are they, are they saying like, oh, this is interesting or this is freaky stuff. We don't want anything to do with this. No, I mean, I mean, look, there's, I, we've, n- I've never encountered anybody that said this is freaky. I don't want to do it because it's weird. I've, I've okay. never encountered anybody like that. You know, when we, when we got, you know, people, uh, members and <clears throat> offices saying no to joining the caucus, it was for personal reasons. They don't, you know, that it's rule or policy that they don't join caucuses or they have different healthcare focuses or this, that, or the other thing. But nobody's ever really pushed back and said, this is not like natural or, uh, you know, this is snake oil really. I th- and in terms of Ryan, you know, I, I think he definitely has a very special place in this, in this industry. Uh, you know, I don't think he is the person that, you know, necessarily should be pointed to, you know, in terms of like, you know, there, there are other people, fortunately, there's, you know, many institutions out there that are pursuing this research, right. That, that are, that are other, you know, there, there, there's legitimate, you know, Harvard, Yale, UCSF, uh, Berkeley, I mean, Stanford, the list goes on and on. There's other leaders and other people that we as political advocates can point to and, and, and you know, mm-hmm. show the, the, the proof a little more. And, you know, Brian is, is, is helping build a, a sort of a movement right now. And, and, and in terms of uh, political advocacy, what he's doing is invaluable, right? Uh, ultimately, everybody that he is courting to his effort here is someone who in the future A4LI could probably rely on for, uh, you know, a, a letter to their congressperson or, you know, a rally or voting in, in some certain way. Right. Uh, and so he definitely, you know, I definitely uh, like Brian. I appreciate what he's doing. But, you know, fortunately, the, the ecosystem is much, much larger than Brian. You know, Brian uh, got into this, uh, you know, after the industry was already well established and there, you know, there are many shoulders that he's standing on, just like there are many shoulders that I and all of us are standing on. So, uh, you know, you know, Brian's great, but, you know, we don't necessarily point to him as like the poster child for what we're trying to do here. Yeah, I was thinking like he may be the like the only one that they know about because he's like, right. You know, Visible well, well, you know, they're, they're fortunately like, you know, David Sinclair is, is pretty well known and Andrew Huberman and Peter Atia, right? And so there are other figures like that. And, you know, I, 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 those aren't people even we would necessarily point to. There's people in, at, you know, at all these different universities and institutions doing actual research on drug development and therapeutics that, you know, those are the people that we're advocating for. Those are the ones creating the drugs and those are the ones that, you know, need the resources pushed to them, right? Those are the ones that, uh, if successful, will really revolutionize everything. So those are the ones we advocate for. We have an election coming up. We don't, we, we try not to talk politics on this show, but this is your world, intersects longevity and science. So have at it. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I, you know, like I mentioned before, different political uh, sides kind of gravitate towards different things here. So the outcome of the election will change how we kind of approach this effort and our messaging, right? You know, I'm not going to comment on anything, although I will say in 2020, I started out my career as a Biden uh, campaign organizer uh, out in rural Pennsylvania. You know, you can make assumptions as you, if you want. I won't say anything on who's going to win or anything like that, but I will say that, you know, elections do have consequences in terms of what us, we as political advocates uh, are able to do, you know, Quite frankly, uh, you know, a more democratic climate is more conducive to research funding and, you know, a more Republican climate is more conducive to, uh, you know, FDA reform. Right. And those are two truths. 
that we uh, understand and are going to work with no matter what the outcome is. I, I didn't realize coming into this that, you know, the, the political wins would actually affect what we're doing. I figured we were kind of small and under the radar enough that we could kind of push push forward. But, you know, you don't realize that the Speaker of the House being removed uh, actually affects niche efforts like ours, right? And, you know, budget fights and a presidential election uh, definitely slow things down in terms of what small advocacy efforts like ours uh, are able to get done in a certain period of time. And so, you know, being the advocates and the, you know, the flexible and uh, kind of go with the wind political advocates we are, we have to kind of be, uh, you know, able to adjust and find what policies will work with and, and what activities we can do within the time frame that makes sense that will move the needle just a little bit and you know wait for the time when the environment is right for a big political ask right so um, that's kind of what we're doing we're trying to get some s small wins over the next year i'm, I'm not assuming much is going to happen in, in washington dc you know for the next i mean the the primaries are basically over already so you know it's going to be the longest general election i think anybody's ever seen uh, and you know i don't i I can't imagine much will get done in DC. So, uh, for example, w one of the things that we're kind of pivoting towards right now is working with the California state government uh, to put research dollars into this space. Uh, you know, California is home to, you know, well more than half of the uh, longevity companies in existence in the world. Uh, has a strong, you know, uh, and, and rich history of uh, supporting innovative technologies. They did CIRM a couple of years ago. So this is definitely something that's on their radar. Uh, and, you know, uh, we've actually made a few inroads there. Uh, so, so that could be something that you, everybody should keep an eye out for in the coming weeks and months, because uh, that's what we're going to be kind of pushing for in this uh, crazy 2024 election year. Okay, so we got to go here. We have two the current candidates for president, and this may change before November. Things can happen. So we have these two folks, and they're going to be octogenarians if elected. I'm just curious, as somebody who's in dealing with longevity, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, people are living longer, right? I mean, it's not a surprise necessarily. Uh, you know, the, the, the president back in... 1800 when they're 50s and 60s and they were considered the old people of their time right it's it's not it's not crazy to for us to see older and older presidents as we as we move forward it's actually quite ageist uh, of people to assume that they can't do the job uh, you know they should be judged on their merits and their uh, words and their actions rather than uh, you know how old they are you can go from there and make your own you know make your own opinions based off that but it should not be based on how old they are um, there are plenty of 70 80 90 year old people that are coherent and cogent and able to still retain leadership roles I mean Warren Buffett is how old and he's still running Berkshire Hathaway so you know my point is it's not really an age issue. I mean, it shouldn't be an age issue. It is an age issue, but it, it shouldn't be. It should be a, you know, a competency uh, issue. Um, but unfortunately, that's going to be the, you know, I'm, I, I watch the news. I see it all the time. I'm sure you do. It's the driving talking point right now, especially with President Biden. And so, you know, it, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was attacked for his age. And uh, I think his line was, uh, he said something about uh, Dukakis being too young and inexperienced for the for the role or something like that. Uh, I don't know if that, that one will work for either candidate this time around, but, um, you know, there are ways to definitely deflect. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I hope, I hope, I, I hope, I hope this, uh, you know, doesn't discriminate, uh, or doesn't cause discrimination, right? It doesn't lead to, uh, 
you know, older people not being considered for office, right? I think there needs to be a healthy balance of young and old people leading the country. But, uh, you know, our elders are the ones we seek advice from and the ones who have the most wisdom and knowledge, right? I, uh, I cherish the time with my grandfather, who's 97, uh, because he's so wise and so full of information and knowledge and firsthand experience that, you know, I just don't have. And so there's a role for older folks in government. And, you know, uh, hopefully this, this election doesn't cause some sort of negative stigma in the future. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, maybe we'll see a little more of a balance. Maybe a little stigma might be good. So there's a little more balance, but not, not a full stigma where we only have young people because I'm a young person and I'm, I, I'm not ready to lead, you know, the country. So we need, we need, we need a healthy balance. Yeah. I think people don't age the same. And exactly. People are not. I mean, to your point, people do not age now the way they did in 1850. It's a a very different thing. Though I think Benjamin Franklin. He lived a long time. And Jefferson both did too. Yeah, no, they're, some of them lived a long time. Yeah. And we've had uh, Alan Petrikoff we profiled. And I think Alan, Alan started his third fund at 86 and he's 89. Alan just got married a few months ago. Right. He ran the New York Marathon last year. You know, so this this aging is not equally distributed. It's it's different, and I and I like what you're saying that um, this should not be about the number; it should be about capacity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I want to circle back a little bit to what you do, and we've spoke we spoke earlier about a, a membership program that you've got going on. What tell us about that? Sure. Yeah. So so you know. In the spirit of becoming a truly grassroots effort, because at the end of the day, you know, we're only going to be effective if we have people who are on board with the mission and, and able to participate and, and be engaged. And so what we're trying to do is spin out a membership system, which we'll uh, release more information about over the coming weeks. You can uh, check out a4li.org for updates. But, uh, you know, the idea is uh, kind of you know, we're trying to replicate what like the NRA and AARP does, right? So they're both also 501c4 organizations and very uh, successful and uh, effective at that. Uh, Both organizations have millions of members. The AARP has 40 million members. Uh, I think NRA has something around 5 million, but all pay, you know, 10 to $50 a year. Uh, And get a card saying they're a member and discounts uh, on your latest Glock handle if you're an NRA member and the Best Western if you're, a, a you know, an AARP member. But the idea is, you know, you give money to the nonprofit so they can advocate on your behalf. And in exchange, you get discounts on, on deals with providers for that nonprofit. So we're trying to replicate that. So what we're going to be doing is launching a, a new program, a new membership system, $50 a year. What you'll receive in return is uh, obviously world-class advocacy from yours truly and and the team at A4LI, swag membership gear to show your support. So we'll send you a shirt and or uh, a mug this year. We'll we'll change it up year over year. And then uh, you'll have access to our discount marketplace. So we uh, have a, a, a number of uh, organizations, companies uh, who have offered discounts to A4LI members for their diagnostic or their conference or their uh, supplements. Uh, and so the idea is that, uh, you know, the, the people paying $50 a year to A4LI will be able to save hundreds, if not thousands on products that they're interested in using anyways. It's a great way to support what we're doing. It's a great way to grow the industry. And it's a great way to get involved with the political effort that I think, you know, people care about. So 
uh, you know, I'm, I know I'm speaking to your audience right now, and it's probably an audience filled with people who are, are more interested in this space than uh, mainstream. But, you know, we need to build out kind of, uh, you know, the core supporters over the next couple months, uh, you know, get people involved in this uh, membership system. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you're interested in discounts on longevity products and conferences, uh, uh, visit A4LI.org. Uh, we'll be launching that sometime in the next uh, few weeks. So uh, stay tuned. Super. Um, so tell me what's on your wish list. So say you get the attention of some lawmakers and sure. they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, how can we help? What's the wish list? What would you like to see happen? So uh, really right now, you know, th there, there are two or three major asks that I, I know will help the longevity industry and thus, uh, I believe, increase healthy lifespan in, in the U.S. First and foremost, there needs to be more foundational research for this space in geroscience in general from the federal government. I believe in 2023, 0.6% uh, of the budget went to geroscience research at, at the NIH, uh, and aging is responsible for 70% of daily deaths. So the, it, it's, a, it's a major misallocation of funds. Uh, and ultimately, what we would like to see as an industry is uh, as much attention given to geroscience as is given to the other, other age-related uh, uh, diseases like Alzheimer's, cancer, diabetes, etc. So that means billions of dollars a year in funding for geroscience research. Uh, that's first and foremost. Uh, the second thing we want to get done is we want to help uh, or, or, or really we want to help companies better design clinical trials through guidance from the FDA. Uh, and support through uh, fr from congressional actions. So there's a bunch of different FDA pathways that have been established over the last decade or two that uh, are, are meant to help uh, specific industries. So the most recent example is the regenerative medicine advanced therapy pathway. If you're a cell or gene therapy company, uh, you can apply for this pathway. And because your field has so much potential to revolutionize healthcare, uh, you get special benefits within the FDA clinical trial process. You can speak with FDA officials more frequently. Uh, in some cases, you get a, a review voucher where you can kind of cut in line. Uh, and so what we want to do is kind of create a pathway similar to that for the longevity industry uh, so that these companies that are you know really taking on massive risks, right, because right now companies can't even get therapeutics approved for aging. So they're, you know, kind of making therapeutics for no one, if you think about it like that, they're taking on massive risks. Uh, and so the government needs to recognize that geroscience is a field that has the potential to transform healthcare and needs to prop it up and support it through uh, a similar type of pathway. <clears throat> but then what we also want the FDA to do is help standardize these clinical trials as well and, and, and give these companies kind of a basis to work off of. Um, that means standardizing which biomarkers and endpoints are validated and, and valid for cl the clinical trial process, which, again, goes back to the foundational research. I think there's a lot to still be done in terms of, uh, you know, epigenetic clocks and which biomarkers uh, actually correlate to getting younger. Right. And so at the end of the day, we want more money. Every advocate wants more money, but we need more money for this space. We need more funds for this space, for the foundational research and to help these companies that have a chance to actually uh, improve healthcare in the short term uh, to get to market as soon as possible. So those are the two big wish list items. Uh, you know, ultimately, what we'd like to see uh, in, in in the long term, maybe medium long term, is um, a, a longevity initiatives bill. That's kind of what I'm I'm calling it right now, 
but something that kind of mimics what the 21st Century Cures Act did, something like along those lines, uh, something that kind of uh, addresses all of the aspects of longevity, uh, you know, beyond research and development of geroscience and gerotherapeutics. Uh, you know, incentivizing people through, uh, you know, different healthcare mandates to stay healthy, uh, you know, implementing uh, epigenetic clocks and healthcare uh, prices, things along those uh, lines to help, uh, you know, stimulate a, a more proactive and healthy uh, uh, society, right? Because the, at the end of the day, the goal here is to get the government to actively increase healthy life expectancy through policy change, right? The, we, we, the government takes, uh, you know, economic growth so seriously that they set these time bound goals. We want to, you know, have 10% growth over 15 years. We do the same for climate change. We need to have net zero by 2040, blah, 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 blah. But life and health is the most fundamental right and need of every single human in our planet, on our planet, right? In our country and on our, on our planet. So it's bizarre to me that the government doesn't really have a set plan and a set goal around this and in terms of improving healthy life expectancy. And so that's kind of the end goal here. And so that's what this larger bill would kind of address in, in, in many different forms. My recollection is the, the four top disease, the four top ways people die, mortality are I think it's coronary. So, you know, everything to do about your circulatory system, um, cancer, Alzheimer's, and I think the last one is what's the last one? Diabetes. Mm -hmm. I believe so. Yeah, but I also recall that age is like the number one factor in all of these things mm -hmm. within the government. Do they feel that? I mean, there's some controversy about this. Is age a disease? Is mm -hmm. it a controllable factor in disease? And should age be treated as a disease? I mean, some people will will say, well, no, it's just the, the way we are, it's just the natural order of things. And other people will say, well, no, it's not. I mean, I, what's the view in Washington on this? I don't, honestly, I don't think politicians even think about that too much. And I, I, I think that's kind of a, a silly argument within the field myself, because who cares what we call it? Um, as long as we can set up clinical trials to treat it as a disease, that's what mm -hmm. we want to ultimately have happen, mm -hmm. right? And you know, the FDA from, from, you know, from what I know is amenable to that. And they're willing to uh, allow clinical trials for aging. I think that's the, the proof is the TAME trial a few years back, it, but, you know, uh, multi-morbidity trials aren't, you know, economically feasible. So, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't really think it matters what we call it. You, you know, you could call it a disease or not. It, it really just matters. Of, uh, can we treat it like a disease and will the government allow us to set up clinical trials to treat it like a disease? And, I think they're willing to. I think they just need to see some, you know, valid biomarkers and endpoints uh, to kind of, kind of, kind of allow a company to actually uh, commercialize a drug around aging. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't really think, uh, you know, politicians think about this. I think that's something that, like, we longevity people kind of debate amongst ourselves. But you know, at the end of the, at the end of the day, though, the only thing that matters is whether we can create therapeutics and sell therapeutics based off the fact that they are treating aging. Right. And whether you want to call it a disease, a condition, a natural fact of life, you know, whatever. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, I think I think uh, people sometimes underestimate the government a little bit, too. You know, there's definitely some, you know, people who are, you know, kind of outlandish and not serious. But there's a lot of really serious, smart people who who, you know, are willing to uh, innovate in the government. And, you know, I, I think we just need as an industry to kind of 
do a little more foundational research and that's where the research dollars come in uh, and, and then we'll get there. So I, I think this will hopefully be a, a non, not a, not a point of contention uh, sometime in the near future once we get that research done. As we're speaking, it would seem to me, I'm not a scientist, I've never spoken to anyone at the FDA, but if I did and I go to Mr. FDA and I say, hey, we have this idea that we want to do something about aging. The first question is going to be, how do you measure that? What's, exactly. the, what's the marker? So there are methylation tests and there are functional tests. There seem to be, I, I was listening to a fellow at the Buck Institute the other day about a whole panel of blood-based biomarkers that may have something to do with this, but there isn't really a thing, right? Like I, I know what my chronological age is, right? but like what's the marker here that we're, that we're looking at would seem to be foundational to all this? Yeah, I, I don't know either. I'm not, uh, you know, I, I think the real issue is there's nothing that's agreed upon, right? Yeah. You know, no, no, everybody has their theory of, you know, this clock will be the best one of these, you know, set of, you know, uh, biomarkers. But, you know, I, I think that's where the FDA needs to come in and kind of take a leadership role and, you know, maybe spin out a special committee or a special effort to help address this and solve this. But yeah, no, I, 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 I don't know the answer to that any more than you or anybody else does. I don't think, I don't know what the, what we're looking for exactly is. I'm also not a, uh, you know, I'm, I, I last biology class I took, I think I was in ninth grade. So, you know, I'm <laughs> a little rusty on my cell uh, parts as well. I'm not going to help you on that. Sorry. So I, I think that this is all, it's all super interesting how, you know, I'm, I have a very particular point of view, but so much like everything in our society and our culture rests upon this, that, you know, as you mentioned, this longevity dividend, I've heard like, you know, extra year of healthy functional life. Dr. Andrew Scott told me it was something like 4% of GDP, which is, I try to get my mind around that. That's a huge number. But then, but everything is set on this and how, you know, for a lot of reasons, we don't spend that much attention on it. because, And I think because it's just sort of an elusive, complicated thing to to think about and and how we've been you know it's sort of been whack-a-mole the you know i heard something like if you eliminate all of cancer people live another six months or something you're gonna die of coronary disease or something mm -hmm. else and but but all of these diseases as a, as a group have this underlying factor of age and it's just interesting to me how you know sometimes we we get really focused on the the fractional parts of this but not the the bigger sort of meta isn't really thought about. And I, it's I'm, I'm happy to know that. I mean, I'm pleased. I also agree with you that I think that government gets slammed a lot because the, the people who get on television, the, the, the nuttier the nut, that's what's going to be the news. Yep. Yep. But there are a lot of really serious, smart, highly competent people yep. who work in the government and are, and are there to, you know, doing service to all the rest of us to do the best job they can, but that's not who gets on the nightly news. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so wait, sorry. What's the, what's the question? Oh, there's no question. I was just like, Oh, you just commenting. Oh yeah. Well, like, you know, you, you know, it, it is, it is sad that, well, you know, what people don't realize is that, you know, you, you see the same five Congress people on, on CNN every week and they're the ones yelling about this, that, or the other thing. And then, you know, there's what, 433 other 
members of Congress that never get any airtime who are not because they're not doing that stuff and they're completely competent and normal. And, you know, what I've come to realize is that, you know, Congress, uh, just from conversations that there's like a, a social element in Congress between the Congress members. And what you, what we don't realize is that there's a lot more bipartisan you know, uh, maybe not actually in this most recent Congress, but before that, there's actually a lot of bipartisan cooperation that we just don't really kind of see because it's not on the big, uh, you know, it's not on the big healthcare bill or it's not on abortion. And then those are the two most contentious uh, uh, topics. But, you know, funding this, that or the other thing that we can all, you know, they, they come to agree. So my point is, yes, it's a little depressing sometimes when you turn on the, the nightly news. But, you know, I feel as an American confident in the institutions and the people running it, you know, I, I got to get like a sponsorship deal from the U.S. government. I feel like I'm their <laughs> spokesperson right now from Congress. I feel like I'm the only person on earth right now who's given Congress the thumbs up. But it's true. You know, they're they're they're, they're you know, and, and the fact of the matter is people in Congress are insanely busy with a million different topics. And like like I said before, you know, the. They might not understand longevity. They might not, under, not understand geroscience in any serious way, but they understand what they understand and they can get behind issues, uh, you know, based on these other kind of selling points. So, you know, they're, they're smart people. They're, they're, they're there for a reason. You know, you don't be a, be a congressperson for no reason. So you know, I, I have faith in them. We'll figure. And, 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 you know, the good part about it is if they're, they don't kind of behave, we can vote them out. So. It's the beautiful part about American democracy. My sort of cynical view of them is that uh, if they're not on the nightly news, they're probably actually working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the amount of Congress people that sleep in their office, I think you'd be surprised by. That's not what sells, right? Let's end on an optimistic note here, Dylan. What would you like our audience to know? What's the takeaway here? The, the future is a lot brighter than it seems uh, if we can get there. If we, if we can ensure that we don't blow ourselves up in a war or, you know, there's not another pandemic that we don't take serious enough, you know, I, I, I think we'll get there. And, uh, you know, the, the future is going to be great. Uh, we have a lot of really, really smart, brilliant, brilliant people creating this future, right? And, you know, we see it with things like chat GPT, but, you know, the future is building on itself and we're going to see more and more amazing. Uh, and so this is real. This is all real. The, the efforts are real and the outcomes will be real. Uh, you know, it's a matter of when, not if. And, you know, that's where everybody listening to this comes into play. You know, you as a voter, you as an individual have the right, have the responsibility to uh, demand things from your elected officials, right? And, you know, living longer and better should be the number one thing you demand out of your politicians. So, you know, my ask to everybody listening is get involved with us, uh, get involved with this effort to extend healthy human lifespan uh, through political action. Uh, it's the best way you can use your voice. It's the most, uh, you know, it, it, it's a time saver if you think about it, because you're, 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 uh, <laughs> you're advocating for time here. So, um, but seriously, you know, this is, this is, a, you know, an effort that is instrumental to what the governments, what governments are set up to do. We need to remind our elected officials they work for us and that this should be at the top of their mind. And, you know, by having a strong political base, we can actually create this future that we all want to see come to fruition and sooner than I think we expect it to. 
you know, political advocacy moves mountains. And so that's, that's what we're trying to do. It's a big, it's a big task here. There's a lot of forces that kind of go against our efforts. Uh, but, you know, getting a grassroots effort together of passionate and engaged citizens is, is the way to really move mountains. So that's, 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 that's my ask to all of you. Future is bright. Future is yeah. bright. We just got to create it. We got to create it and it'll be here sooner than you think. Dylan, wonderful to have you on. We will put Alliance for Longevity Initiatives into the show notes. Everyone, this sounds like an awesome thing. We should all just be part of this because like, don't we want advocacy to live longer? That I don't know. That sounds like a pretty good thing. So, Dylan, great having you on. I really appreciate your time today. I know you're a busy guy and you're doing really important work out there. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. That was great. Big thanks to Dylan for joining us on the show today. I hear from... A lot of people, and if you're a listener to the show, you, you've probably been hearing this. There's so much stuff that just gets tied up. There are things that researchers can't do or they can't get funding for because it's not pharma. Like, why aren't we doing large tests on rapamycin or some of these, these other things? Because there's just no money in it for pharma. So I'm really hopeful that some of this gets through. And I would think, although I, he told me no, I really do think that you know we have such a I'm going to use the word gerontocracy in Washington, that this might be in their personal best interest to research some of this. So, yeah, hopefully. We're going to get with Just Try This after a quick word from our sponsors. Did you know that just pounding water all day is not going to keep you hydrated? You need the right mix of electrolytes in that water to help that water be absorbed properly and also to help your body function well with the right electrolytes. Element, LMNT, contains sodium, potassium, and magnesium, which are critical for helping our brains and our bodies function. One of the unfortunate facts is as we get older, it's harder to drink water, essentially because our thirst response is diminished. So we need to put extra emphasis on drinking water, staying hydrated with the right electrolytes. Of course, if you are prehypertensive or have hypertension, check with your doctor before having anything with sodium in it. For the rest of us, though, Element is a great solution. Go to drinkelement.com. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash ageist. Get a free eight-serving sample pack with your first purchase. This week on Just Try This, I just want to suggest, and I, I know this is going to not fly with everybody, but meditation. And I, I find there's sort of three groups of people out in the world. They're meditators. They're people who I'll call meditation curious, and they're anti-meditators. So if you anti-meditators out there, whatever's working for you, hey, <laughs> just do it. I've been getting comments recently from people telling me like how much, basically how much nicer I am, how much more present I am, and I'm finding I just sort of everyday life is just sort of amusing me, and I'm just having a jolly good time, and I'm thinking, why is this? And I've sort of been meditating sort of consistently for about, oh my gosh, like 15 years now. But I, I recently, the last maybe six, eight months, and I, sw I switch up my meditation programs and routines from time to time. I've been using a program that's free. It's a free app called Healthy Minds that Richard Davidson, the professor out of, I want to say, University of Wisconsin. We had him on the show, friend of the Dalai Lama. And so I've been doing that. And it's, and it, it's really made an impact on my life. But I know, like, some of you guys are, like, anti-meditators, like, never, 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 I can't go there. My favorite are the men. They're always men. And they're like, oh, meditation, that sounds really scary. I mean, 
I don't get that. I, I get that it could be hard or like maybe you don't like doing it, but it's scary. I mean, come on, guys. Like, really? <laughs> There's scarier things in the world than just sitting quietly. Maybe there aren't for some people. I don't know. So this week, on just try this. I'm just going to make a pitch out there for meditation. It definitely reduces your stress. It's going to increase your ability to be present with other people. And you're probably going to get a little happier. So give it a try. There's like 10 million ways to do this. There are no right ways. There are no wrong ways. I started with Headspace like 15 years ago. I've been... Hung out with the Tibetan Buddhists for a little bit. That didn't work so well. The Zen guys, they were too hardcore. They, they'll whack you. You know the Zen guys? If you're not paying attention or if you like nod out, they have a stick and they whack in the head with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Old school. I've been using Richard Davidson's Healthy Minds program lately. It's free. Like I said, I really like it. For those of you out there who haven't done this, maybe just check it out. Give it like two or three weeks. It can be a little funny in the beginning, but I, I think it's really worth the time. So this week on Just Try This. Get your meditation app on. Check it out. This is the time in the program where I ask all you guys to help us out a little bit. Please give us a rating. Please. Have you done that yet? Please do that. You can leave us up to a five-star rating. That's, you know, our favorite. And you can leave a comment. Oh, my gosh. We love that. And, hey, maybe send this to a friend. Maybe there's somebody out there who likes to hear, you know, what we're talking about here. Next week, we've got a really great one. It's an interview with a Danish gentleman, a professor, who has developed an AI for predicting mortality, more or less, with a lot of inputs. So that's super interesting. I mean, think about the implications of that for the insurance industry. Yikes. (laughs) So that's next week. Until then, everybody, I want you to have a fantastic week, whether you're meditating or not, and we'll see you then. Take care now.